It is an honor to stand before you. And in your packets, I believe you have an outline. It's page four and five. Could you turn there with me? Um, there's a scripture section on one half of it, and there is a outline section on the other half of it. And I, and I realize now that you have it, that you would also be very, very blessed if you have a pen with you or a pencil or something to write with other than your fingernail. Yeah, so Kayla has some, our MC in the back with a couple extra writing utensils. Looks like they all have it, Kayla. Thank you for doing that good diligence. So we're going to get into it here in just a minute. We have a great um, topic before us to think about. And I don't even know if you know what's in store, but on page five, the title of this first section is Created in the Image of God. So I'm going to get into that in just a minute. Would you pray with me? Let's, let's ask for God's help as we begin. Our great God in heaven, we, we bow before you really in our, and give you our adoration and our worship. God, you are the one who upholds all things by the word of your power. And so we ascribe to you the glory that is due to your name. Lord, wherever we are, and with the vast set of different needs that are represented in this room, I pray and I ask that you would come and help us, God, because we need you, and that you would come in power and shape the very affections of our hearts, the opinions in our mind, and how we live our lives as we depart this place. Lord Jesus, would you help me and would you remove any foolishness that I interject and would your word reign supreme in this time? Please meet us according to our needs in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you know this, um, it, back in 2017, uh, a Chinese man rode his bicycle for 500 kilometers for 30 days. is really sweet and impressive. Um, this man in China was not an Olympian, but it made the news, which is why I learned about it. Forgive me if you've heard this already, but this guy was not an Olympian. He was just an ordinary guy in China who wanted to get home for Chinese New Year. So what he decided to do is, I'm cheap. I don't want to pay a fare to get home. So he just jumped on his bicycle from Rizhao, China, and his home is in a place called Chichihar, China. So he just jumped on his bike like a boss and said, I'm just going to bike it. And it was incredibly impressive that it made the news. It was carried by several articles around the world. The only problem was that when he got on his bike right at that moment, he was facing the wrong direction. So he didn't make the news because it was awesome although it kind of was awesome, it made the news because he spent a huge amount of effort. It was an incredible display of athleticism, but at the beginning of it, uh, at the outset, so to speak, it was fundamentally misdirected. You know what I'm talking about? So a high amount of energy, high amount of athleticism, yet fundamentally misinformed. So as he was in the news, it wasn't to say, yo, this dude should be an Olympian. It was to say, look at all of this energy. I wish he was kind of started off in the right direction, you know, to, 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 to begin with, right? 
And that's on my mind, and I share that with you because it's a good way to understand why we've chosen the topic that I'm about to bring to you this morning. Yeah, I'm serious. That helps you understand why this morning I want to hold out to you all why it is worth it to consider and understand the topic or the foundational theology of the Imago Dei is how some people would say it, or the image of God or why it says image bearers on your name tag. Here's why. Because there's usually a lot of zeal. There's a lot of energy. Uh, there's a lot of athleticism and emotional energy, anyway, put into this surrounding issues related to communities of color and minority groups. And I think many of them are wonderfully brilliant. Yet, I think it's helpful this day for me to hold out to you a distinctly Christian foundation so that we set off in the right direction. Does that make sense? For us to begin in such a way that we don't expend energy, yet at the very outset be fundamentally misinformed. That's why we're doing what we're about to do right now. And that's why I want you to encourage you, whether you're used to being up this early on a Saturday or not, we have to talk about this thing called the image of God. On your packet is Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read this, the book of Genesis, and from the outside is about foundations. So we don't go cycling off in the wrong direction, just on page 4. Would you pick this up and read it with me? It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2 says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And we pick up again at verse 26. And then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast on the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything he made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So, like I mentioned, we just read from the book of Genesis, and the name Genesis itself comes from that first verse that we read, because Genesis means beginnings, or foundations. So what we're, what's in front of us here is, is reality that is foundational to functioning in God's world. Lots of foundational things we could talk about. One such thing is the reality that God is creator and that humans are created. So you know what's foundational to your life? Here it is. You're not God. And neither am I, thank God. 
but you're uh, sorry, right? You're not, God, but you're also not merely a creature. You're not a souped-up gorilla. We learn here four times in our passage, we encounter the focus of this message, the idea of the image of God. So that's here. That's here. The image of God is not a reference to your physique. It's not saying you look like Thor. The image of God is a royal calling and an imprint of what it means to be human. May I say that again? That's the main point this morning of this opening address. The, the image of God is a royal calling that you have on your life and an imprint of what it means to be human. This truth forms the basis of all ethics, of what we call epistemology. It forms the basis of us not cycling in the wrong direction. And I'd like to show you that this morning. There are three points on page five. I would like to show you three implications of this little phrase, image of God. What does that mean? Number one, if you see your track with me, the image of God means the centrality of God. That's what that means. The image of God means the centrality of God. Let me explain. Verse one, right at the top, says this, in the beginning, God created. Did you see that? Verse 26 says, then God said, let us make man in our image. The very, very structure of our passage is signaling to us something that you need to understand, my brothers and sisters. It is how God-centered the universe is. The very first page and the very first verse in the Bible says something incredible. God created. Verse 26 says, God said. It says, God created, God blessed. Verse 28, it says, God said. And do you know that if you had a full page of Genesis 1 in front of you, if you look and consult a, a copy of the scriptures in between verse 1 and verse 26, every single paragraph in Genesis 1 starts with the God. That means the text of Genesis is like a piece of music, building, building. God did this, God did this, God did this, and it is building towards verse 26, which is the unveiling, so to speak, of humans. And we find and we locate ourselves in the narrative of the universe. So I told you you might need a pencil. Do me a favor. Maybe I'd like you to underline or circle these words. Us and our. Us and our. This is then God said, let us make man in our own image. Those words signal something. They signal intention and they signal possession. So wait a second. Before we talk about some of the other implications that I'm going to talk to you about, about the image of God, please recognize something. Humans being made in the image of God means to recognize that the main actor in the cosmos is God. The person on stage in Genesis 1 is the omnipotent living Lord. Please understand that. Otherwise, you're off in the wrong direction. Any discussion of humanity or ethics or epistemology needs to get something clear. I put it on your sheet, I believe. It's right under the first main point. Creation's aim is the glory of God. This is about making much of God, not us. 
That's why creation exists. It's an overflow of God's goodness. When I was a kid, there was a friend, a family friend, um, a, a woman who was just known for being generous. I, I was a kid. I would go over to her house and we'd always love going over to this house, right? Because she would always, you know, make brownies and be food. So we would always just, you know, whenever we would hang out as kids, we'd say, well, let's, let's, go, let's go there, right? Because the food's good there. And, and we would go over. And for a long time, I used to think, you know, I think I go there and this good family friend makes all this good stuff because I'm awesome. Turns out when I grew up, I realized, wait, wait a second, that's just how they are. And the generosity that I receive is not a statement about me. The generosity I received was really a statement about them and an overflow of their goodness. It was because they're good, not because I was good. Same thing here. That's what's happening in this, in this passage. Creation does not offer God a resume. And, and, and because it didn't exist. And, and, and you and I over, exist as an overflow of God's goodness and as a proclamation of God's glory. So you could say a creation is a testimony where living evidence of God and in his grace, God created. I don't want to skip past this too quickly. The fountainhead of all joy, the very God of very God overflowed into creation. And the first four words of the Bible might be some of the most profound words we read. Do you know what it is? In the beginning, God. No proof, aim, just assumption. And if there is any danger today, let me be frank, about having a conference or an event or a day where, you, where, we, where we exercise the privilege of centering it on certain experiences, like the kind of food that I prefer or you prefer or something like that, the danger that I see would be to forget that the image of God fundamentally is not about me. It calls us to have a God-centered view of the world. The Bible says from him and through him and to him are, are, are all things. Look at the references I put on your sheet. Isaiah 43 says, Bring my sons from afar and the daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. What is the Bible saying? What is God proclaiming? It's saying that everything that follows Genesis 1 is not supposed to incite argument, it is supposed to demand our awe. And, and God is the ultimate reality. God is the one who is exalted in might, and God is distinctly other, and he is worthy of our attention. That's what Genesis is saying. Don't go cycling in the wrong direction. Pause and consider, in the beginning, God. Psalm 33 is written there. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. So, verse 8, let all the earth, what? You want to say that again with me? Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in, here's another word, awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Why did I put that on your sheet? Here's why. Because when the ancient people of God read what we just read in Genesis. You know what they did? They didn't banter about days of creation or what this proves and what this isn't and who's right and how do you translate this or not. That's not primarily what they did, although I don't have a problem with that. 
The psalmist said, he read Genesis 1, and he feared, and he trembled, and he was in awe. So you, brothers and sisters, should meditate on the indescribable mystery of the glory of God. Psalm 95 is also there. And I want to actually ask you to do that. Look at this. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is, well, his because he made it. And his hands form the dry land. So what's the summary written there? Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. You know what that means? That means we should take a moment now and pause and have a moment of silence and, and worship God as the living God. Could you do that? Could you think about the fact that God is exalted in a moment? Let's pray quietly right now. God is the living God, and we just read in the beginning, God. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who live in it. Amen? So, you can come back from your moment of worship. The image of God means the centrality of God. Do you get what I'm saying? And yet there is more. Probably wondering what all those little fill-ins are on your sheets. Let me explain. The image of God means the dignity of mankind. Let's linger here on this second point for a little bit. So the image of God means the centrality and glory of God. But point number two on your outlines, the image of God means the dignity of humankind. Please reread verse 26 with me. Look back at your packets. It says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over. So one second, I want to point out a couple things about that verse textually. Like I said, verse 26 is the literary climax of Genesis chapter 1 because the way Genesis is structured, it has a, a rhythm, almost a beat to it. It says God said, and then God said, and then God said, let this, let there be so-and-so, and it happened, and then it was good. And the narrative comes to this structural surprise in verse 26. Here's a surprise. It's God said, God said, God said, and then 26 says, we encounter let us. Okay, God says let us. So when it comes to humanity, get this. This is remarkable. God takes divine counsel in himself. And he says, hmm, the operation of the triune God conspires here, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to consider what it means to display his glory in humans. So let's do some theology here and some thinking. Just like God is set apart from his creation, humans are also distinctly set apart from the other things God has made. Do you see that in this text? Mankind, humankind, men and women are distinct, are unique, and have a particular role to display God. This is not an exhaustive list, but if you ask me, what does it mean to, quote, be made in the image of God? How are you created? It means that you are created, but how are you created? I have four things I'd like you to write down if you have a writing utensil of some sort. Number one, this means that we are revelation receivers. Let me say that again, because maybe you don't normally talk like that. Being a human means that we, you and I, 
are revelation receivers. Huh? What I mean by that, simply, is that you, by virtue of being a human, have to try to make sense of the world and attach a narrative to it. Let me give you an example. Uh, I was introduced as having four children. My youngest child is quite the comedian, um, not because he tries to be, but because of some of the funny things he just accidentally does. Uh, several weeks ago, when there was, um, when remember when the temperature was going to drop very, very significantly, it was going to be cold the next day. And we all said in our house, I looked at the weather on my phone and I said at the dinner table, hey, everybody, my goodness, tomorrow there's a frost warning. To which they all said, what does that mean? It says, well, tomorrow morning when you wake up, there's going to be frost on the ground. As nice as it looks today, tomorrow there's frost. I wake up the next morning and I come downstairs and I realize my youngest son had been out of bed a long time. So I can't find my kid. I go downstairs, I look outside and he is on our back deck and he is licking the ground. So as I open the door and say, what are you doing? Do you want breakfast? Do you, what do you want? He says, I'm licking the ground. Like there's nothing to it. Why are you licking the ground? Because you said today there was going to be frosting. Come inside, child. I've said frost, not frosting. What just happened? That's not just a misunderstanding. What he's demonstrating is what it means to be human. None of us operate based on like downloaded information where we're wound up and we just go, no, 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 no. What's happening is that humans are interpreters. You understand what I'm saying? Humans have to affix meaning to things as distinct from everything else in creation. It's a part of your distinctiveness from animals is you are a meaning maker. You have to do it. And that's why we see in verse 28, God blessed them. And what was the other verb? He, he, he said to them, that's what we mean by revelation, that God isn't playing hide and seek. God is revealing by speaking. God speaks. God speaks to people, which is why we read in the Bible that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He speaks and we receive revelation. You can't make sense of the cosmos on your own. That's the point. You are a revelation receiver. You have to attach a meaning to things that people say and God has said. So let's keep going. Number one, we're revelation receivers. What else can we learn here? Number two, this says we are male and female. Let me say that again. That's your second fill-in. We are number one, revelation receivers. The second one is that we are created male and female. Now, maybe to some of you, that probably feels obvious. Maybe to others of you, that feels like a very, very controversial thing to say in our day and age. But again, these points build on one another. If we are meant to receive revelation, and if God is a God who speaks, I cannot dress up verse 27, friends, to make it say something other than the very plain meaning that is there in verse 27. Let's reread it. God created man. In his own image, in the image of God, he created him. What does that mean? Male and female, he created them. So, imago Dei necessarily means that there is a sacredness to humans 
And there is a binary distinction in humans. If you have questions about that, I would love to talk to you about that. What this means is men alone, brothers, we can't bear the image adequately and represent God to the world. And women cannot uniquely represent this image of God adequately on their own. But this pulling apart of the genders is God's design. Male and female are assigned by God so that humans can reflect the glory of God. It is dignified and right and not shameful to be a man or to be a woman. And here's why I think this is important, because right now in our world, I think many have missed this distinction and are putting the accent of distinction in the wrong place. What I mean to say is, in my observation, it seems like there can be like a pressure to choose your race as a binary distinction, but to see gender as fluid, like you're on a spectrum of gender or something like that. But I, I, I believe the foundation we see here is that gender is the binary distinction. And that, yes, you have a race that can be fluid. You can be multiple races. You can be of mixed race. So gender is not a social construct, so to speak. Yes, I know some parts of it are social construct, like men always grill and women. That's a social construct. That's not what I'm talking about. But your maleness and your femaleness is a part of your royal calling. So it's dignified to be female. It's dignified to be male. And whatever you look like, you're called to represent God to the world through this part of your humanity. We're revelation receivers, number one. We are male and female, number two. Number three, number three, and maybe most helpful of all to me anyway, number three says we are joyful in obedience. Can I say that again? That's your third fillet. We are joyful in obedience. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to have our first teenager in our home. I've been warned about the teenage years. Frankly, I feel like we're already there. It doesn't matter what the number is, right? And, uh, you know, teenagers are known. Here's what they like to do. They like to say things like this. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. That's what everyone's like. Dave, you got to be ready for the teenage years because they do that, right? Truth be told, you don't have to look very far to hear that. You've heard that. Don't want anybody, don't you tell me what to do. That attitude is very certainly very, very prevalent. And I don't exactly know how I'm going to work through that with my teenagers, soon to be. But one of the ways that has been very helpful to me to understand that vibe is to realize that the very, very first word spoken to a human in the Bible is God telling them what to do. Do you notice that? The very first word spoken in the Bible to a human, God tells them what to do. That's rude. <laughs> it's not. Because verse 28, there's another word. God, what? Blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. I want you to think about that for a minute. Think about this. God, what? Blessed them. And then God... Put those two verbs together, you get something very, very important. I think you get a very profound ver verse. Most Because most people think you got blessing over here, and you got obedience over there. You got happy stuff over here, this is joy. And you got, well, commandments over there. What is the Bible saying? 
uh, the Bible is saying that obedience is actually the circle of God's blessing. Because those two things go together. It is saying that God's blessed, God blessed them in his commanding them. Those two things are not different from one another. They are organically connected. The blessing is the same thing as their obedience. Their obedience is the sphere of their joy. And we live in a world that says Christian obedience is oppression or something of the sort. Or to obey God is to squash my style because you should do whatever makes you. I don't know what the narrative is. But image bearing, image bearing, the image of God means that, that you were made for God. And re rebellion will always have a bitter taste. That's why we, we think about and rejoice in the commandments of God. And the psalmist says they're sweeter than honey. You know, in a sense, one theologian says this, right? you know, in a way, you don't break God's commandments. More strictly speaking, you're going to break yourself against God's commandments. Because being blessed means to be in a relationship with him. Number four, real quick, and then we'll wrap this up. We are revelation receivers. We're male and female. We're joyful in obedience. Let's write the last one. The last one says is that we are ambassadors for his, for God's fame. We're ambassadors for his fame. And I'm deriving this from verse 28. The second half of it, 28b, says, Fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish and birds of the heavens. I have given you every plant, and you shall have them for food. Thing to see here is that humans are given a measure of sovereignty. That's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. Just as God formed the earth and filled the earth, there's a similar role that is delegated to them as, as, the, as rulers and exercisers of God's image. Just as God formed and filled, right? Humans subdue and fill. So there's a multiplication of the image of God. So the earth is filled with the glory of God as the waters covered the sea. Right? You guys watch sports. You probably watch the Super Bowl. Sorry to bring up a painful memory. Well, what I love about sports is how people sit in their living rooms. They watch TV and they wear the jersey. Right? I love that. You know, in a way, what you're demonstrating, and they say, oh yeah, we lost or we won, which is why it was really, really painful. Right? Well, in, in a very similar way, very similar thing is being said here. If you carry around the imprint of God, then God's business is your business, right? This is why life is sacred. This is why you are an ambassador for the purposes of God. You are given a measure of agency to exercise in the world. And yes, this is why life is sacred, and it means assaulting life in any way is abhorrent. It's printed at the top of your sheet. Look at Genesis 9. At the very top of the outline, this is the same reasoning used. It says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For God made man in his own image. Do you see what it's saying? He's saying, you're an ambassador for the fame of God. You wear more than a jersey. So for me to mistreat you is an attack on God. In any form, it is abhorrent. It is not wrong because our culture says it's bad. It is wrong because it is assaulting what God has placed, the royal calling, the image of the living God. Friends, all of these things are the Bible's view of man. All of these things. Yes, there are more things that we could 
say, but do you recognize the royal calling that you have to be an ambassador for the glory of God? I think that's tremendous. Do you see maybe some implications in this about how we treat one another, uh, about self-control, and why the fruit of the Spirit is urgent for Christians who seek to dwell in unity? All of these things are the Bible's view of man, and yet it is a concern of mine that many people perhaps could be peddling off just in, in the wrong direction. Well-intentioned, but maybe fundamentally misinformed. Well, what do you do if you are misinformed or you have been in the wrong direction? One last point. Let's wrap up with this. I would uh, be remiss to not mention that the image of God, however, signals to us because it also means the fullness of Jesus Christ. Let's close with this. The image of God means the fullness of the God-man, Jesus. Look at what I mean. This language is actually very deliberately picked up by the Apostle Paul to tell us about the image of God par excellence. It's in Colossians 1. Would you reread this with me? Look down at your sheets. Talking about Jesus. Wait a minute. The Bible says he is the image of the invisible God. That Jesus is the firstborn of all creation because by him all things were created. Wait, that's Genesis 1. In heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You know what that means? It means in Genesis 1, when God said, mm, all, that's good. God said it was, and it wasn't good. It means that Christ saw that it was good. That Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God, executed creation. But yet it also means that, according to the Apostle Paul, at one point in time, God took on flesh. That means in our history books, in the scriptures, what you hold in your hand when you read a gospel account is the living God brings about the image of God in humans like no one else has ever before. When you read about Jesus, well, you want to know what God is like? No one's ever seen God. God doesn't have a face or a body. No. Well, you can see God if you look at Jesus, because he's fully God. He's the firstborn of creation, but yet he was the one who, by him, all things were created. But wait a minute, so do you want to know what it means to be human, to be fully human, to be the best possible human? You look at Jesus. Jesus brings together the fullness of God and the fullness of humanity because he is the ultimate image bearer who pulls us back to what you were created for. See? And I think if you want to know about the sacredness of human life, God think humans matter. Regardless of where you're from or what you look like or what your story is, 
Well, yeah, we can do that by looking at Jesus as well, because the treasure that human beings are, regardless of what they look like, is that Jesus gave his life for you. Jesus and sacrificed himself and paid that as a price to demonstrate the value of human life. That means, friends, your life is valuable because Jesus died for you. That God loves you and wants to restore you, as we're going to hear all about at this wonderful time together, means he is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. If you want to know about humans are like, look at Jesus. If you realize that you have been off running in the wrong direction and you need to come home, you come home to Christ, to faith in him, to calling out to him and asking him to have mercy on you. Could we have another moment of silence? I would like to give you an opportunity to pray quietly in response to any of this, and I will close us in prayer in just a moment. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray and ask for your mercy for not honoring you as the one true God, maybe in our lives. We, we ask for forgiveness for maybe thinking too highly of ourselves or maybe not recognizing what it means that we have a royal calling. I pray that you would empower us to live as becomes as followers of Jesus. I pray that we would come into knowing you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom we have sent. I pray that we would know eternal life through Jesus Bless our time this day. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.